0: Well, greetings to all of you as we come together at this opening night of the Feast of Tabernacles 2021. And as I said last year, what a year it's been. And this year, what a year this has been. Uh, We had in the United States a storming of the Capitol. Uh, We had terrible storms in Texas shutting down the electric grid for some period of time. Uh, Those people who went through that understand how bad that was. We had the Colonial Pipeline shut down because of a ransomware attack where all over the South and East Coast, uh, people were looking for fuel. Seventy percent of the stations in some states, such as North Carolina, uh, had no fuel. Uh, So we've had many other things, the continuing coronavirus pandemic for many of you. Uh, you've gone well into 2021, shut down, and we don't even know if everyone is able to meet in person for the Feast of Tabernacles this year because of government shutdowns in some places around this world. And some places have suffered very greatly, such as India. And who knows how, how long it's going to be before that abates and People are able to get back to some kind of normalcy. So it's been quite a year, but we're here to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, and it is 2021, 1990 years from uh, the time of the uh, Feast of Tabernacles after Christ was was crucified and resurrected. After the Feast of Pentecost that uh, we read of in Acts the second chapter, it was 31 A.D. So we are now in. 1990, uh, from that period of time. Uh, This evening I want to ask some very simple questions. What will their first feast be like? Uh, What will they think on the opening night of the Feast of Tabernacles, whatever year that is coming up, where they will meet? And what do we need to do to use our time here profitably? So the first thing we need to answer is, who are the they that I'm referring to, or the there? And the answer is found in the book of Zechariah, the 14th chapter, and I'm sure you know exactly who we're talking about just by pointing to that scripture. But I hope we will remember where these scriptures are found, because the time is coming when you and I are going to have to explain these things to this world. God is calling us to be teachers and to be priests. So here in the 14th chapter of Zechariah, uh, after Christ returns to be king of kings and Lord of lords, in verse 17, it says, It shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. And it speaks of the family of Egypt. If they don't come up, then he's going to cut off the rain and... They'll also receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles." Verse 19, this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So after Christ's return, the word is going to go out to send representatives up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the whole world is not going to be able to fit in Jerusalem, so there will no doubt be local sites just as we have today all around the world. And who's going to teach those people at that time? Well, that's probably you and me uh, perhaps our children who live on into the millennium some of them may be uh, called upon to give instruction in certain parts of the world but uh we're looking now at the people who are coming up to keep the feast of tabernacles the very first year after Christ returns that's who we're talking about here now let's put our Our minds into their minds for a moment here. Uh, Remember what leads up to this momentous event. Uh, We could read of uh, that over in the book of Daniel, the 12th chapter, Uh, just a little bit here. It says at the time, that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. That it can only be one time like this, and that is yet in the future. And it says, even that time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. So there's going to be deliverance for the people uh, of Israel at that time, specifically of Jerusalem is talking about here, but all the people of Israel. Uh, But it's going to be a time of deliverance from. Satan the devil, uh, but it's going to take a little bit of time in the millennium before that influence is fully uh, gone. He'll be gone, but people will still be thinking in the old patterns for a period of time, no doubt about it. Uh, we read in Matthew, the 24th chapter, verses 21 and 22, where Jesus said it's going to get so bad that all flesh could be destroyed from the face of this earth. No one would survive, but he will intervene and save them from it. The whole world will have gone through the greatest time of trouble that we could ever imagine, but specifically, even more than just the world as a whole, although uh, no one's going to get off uh, very easy, is going to be traumatic for the whole world. But over in Jeremiah, the 30th chapter, we read that this time of the end is going to be very traumatic for a certain group of people. And in verse 7, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. So this is talking about the very same time that Jesus spoke of there in Matthew the 24th chapter and also in Daniel the 12th chapter. It is one that is none is like it. It is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved out of it. So the time of Jacob's trouble, the people of Israel and those who live in the nations of Israel, who have been blessed far beyond others on the face of this earth and uh, physical wealth and uh, blessings of all kinds of things, and and yet we've squandered those blessings. We've rejected God. We've rebelled against God. And we see that more and more every day as we uh, find our nations descending into uh, sin and chaos spiraling down morally. And so he says here that it's very great, none like it is the time of Jacob's trouble. So this is especially uh, troublesome for the people of Israel. But consider what the whole world will experience before that first evening of the Feast of Tabernacles. We have the six seals of Revelation, the four horsemen, as they are described there, and then the fifth seal, the the uh, martyrdom of saints, and then the heavenly signs in the sixth seal, which bring uh, terror to to mankind. People are going to be hiding out in caves and behind rocks at any place they can find to hide out because of the heavenly signs and no doubt earthquakes and all the things that are going to happen there. It's going to terrify people, but that's only the beginning because that is leading up to the seventh seal, which is the day of the Lord, the day of the Lamb's wrath, the day of Christ's wrath upon rebellious mankind. And so we have the seven trumpet plagues, which are going to be ecological and human disasters, disasters brought about by human greed and war and and so forth. And we have that, the seven trumpet plagues. But then the seventh Plague is made up of the seven last plagues, which bring more ecological and natural disasters so called natural disasters, but uh, they 'll be more than just natural; they will be caused by uh, by God bringing them on mankind, rebellious mankind, those who refuse to repent, and all those things are going to happen to be poured out very quickly. Uh, because no no flesh would survive if it wasn't a very short period of time, because it's going to be so bad, and ending with this horrendous battle, the armies of the earth fighting against the returning Jesus Christ. So we have all of that taking place. Can you imagine how traumatized the world will be at that time? You know, we, we get used to problems, but when you look at it that way, all these things happening within a, a relatively short period of time, the world is going to be traumatized like we cannot imagine. When you think about what's happened the last year and a half, two years, let's say two years with the coronavirus, uh, actually less than two years, and all the trauma that we have suffered here, wait till you have the three and a half years of the tribulation of the day of the Lord? That is going to be trauma. And so when those people come up, those who... Obey those uh, nations that obey. Uh, they're, they're they're going to come up, and uh, they're going to they're going to be a defeated world, a defeated world, a thoroughly defeated world. And as a nation which loses a war, such as after World War II, the Japanese or the German people. Uh, but But, also, the other nations that suffered russia and and europe and and uh, all the nations uh, around the world that suffered during World War II. when it finally comes to a close and they have time to think back what a what a horrendous uh, thing that is that they go through, and these people are going to go through things that they've never, they 've never they could never imagine as they are sitting here today. Uh, the things that are going to happen to them. It's hard for us to comprehend it. And, you know, we've known that plagues are going to come, but how many of us were really prepared for the coronavirus pandemic, mentally and spiritually? Uh, and, and and we see that things can be a lot worse. We can think about them, but only when they happen do we really uh, have it settle in. Over in Isaiah, the 40th chapter Uh, it gives us some very comforting words. In chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, I'm just going to read it here quickly. It says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem, and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So, Jerusalem has been the the center of so much of the trouble around the world, and it will continue to be, and even more so at the very end. That will be the focus of all the trouble at the end. And so God is saying that we are to comfort, or there's coming a time to comfort uh, Jerusalem and Judah and the people of Israel, and and really for the whole world there will be comfort uh, that will come and speak comfort to Jerusalem. Now, on the other hand, there are going to be other countries that are not going to see this as comfort right away. Uh, Egypt seems to be a country that's going to be a little bit hard-nosed, uh, stiff-necked, not come up the first year. Uh, we don't know that for sure. That's an example that God gives us. But when you look at the hatred in some of these Arabic and Middle Eastern countries, they're not all Arabic, but these Middle Eastern countries, the hatred that they have for Judah and Israel, uh, some of them may be a little bit hard-headed and stiff-necked and not come up the first year. But they'll be traumatized in a different way with, as a defeated nation, as defeated peoples. But if they come up at that time... They'll not be comforted in, in the sense of uh, immediately. Uh, they will just be beaten down. But can you imagine what the atmosphere will be? I'm sure that the King of Kings will put together the greatest organizational plan uh, that that's ever been on the earth. Uh, can you imagine, with all the effort that we put into keeping the feast, and we have choirs, and we've had orchestras in the past, not so much in recent years, but I can still remember at... Uh, a Wisconsin Dells, where Mr. Oaks uh, put together uh, an orchestra, I don't know, a hundred pieces or something like that, and a, a choir of, of two to three hundred people, I don't remember the exact number, but but a huge uh, choir and a massive orchestra with the timpani drums and all the other things, uh, and just uh, put on, you know, music that, that sent chills up and down your spine, and I'm sure that the King of Kings is going to have a choir and an orchestra uh, for that opening night and for during the feast to be able to uh, have inspirational messages, not only messages, but hymns. And they'll send chills of inspiration to all in attendance, including the new family of God, uh, those of us who have been born in the very family of God. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll be hearing angelic choirs and, and, uh, hearing the, the greatest music that's ever been written at that time. But then there will be comforting messages, almost surely given by Jesus himself. We don't know that for sure, but we, we believe that probably will be the case. And the kind of words that Jesus will speak will be words of comfort. They'll be gracious words. Over an Ecclesiastes, the 10th chapter, and verse 12. I'm not going to take time to turn over there. But it, it says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. That's Ecclesiastes uh, 10, verse 12. And Jesus is going to speak gracious words. He's going to comfort the people that come up, this beaten-down group of, of Gentiles that have fought against him, but also... <clears throat> Israelites who fought against him, and the people who suffered uh, from uh, the, the tribulation or the, the the martyrdom of the Israelites and so forth, they will be comforted. They'll be happy, but you'll have such a mixture there. Everyone is going to need comfort, and Jesus uh, says here by inspiration that a wise man's words are gracious. But I'd like to turn over to Luke the uh 4th chapter, Luke 4. And notice verse 22. It says, "...so all bore witness to him, to Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son?" They were surprised by his gracious words. Now, uh, obviously, they knew him or knew his family, Uh, because this was at Nazareth when He came to Nazareth. And so these were His people when they heard it. But what was the context of His gracious words? Uh, Let's go back a a few verses here. Uh, Let's go back to uh, verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 16. Let's go back to Luke 4 and verse 16. It says, Then Jesus returned In the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of Him went uh, throughout all the surrounding region. And He taught in their synagogues, uh, being glorified by all. So He came to Nazareth, verse 16, where He had been brought up. And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when He opened the book, He found the place where it was written, Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, we, we know that when he came and he said, uh, he, he handed back the book and he said, uh, today, verse 21, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But that was a, a type of yet what is to come, because when it speaks of the uh, the acceptable year of the Lord, he's also referring to the time of uh, the day of the Lord and, and what follows there. And so this was a prophecy, not only of, of what happened then, but also what is to happen in the future. And so he spoke these gracious words, and no doubt will speak those gracious words or similar ones to them when he comes back. You know, Jesus is uh, the God of the Old Testament. We know that. And back in uh, Exodus, the 34th chapter, uh, Moses wanted to know more about the name of God and here in verse six, Exodus thirty-four, verse six, it says, "The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed." Now, here is the, the name of the Lord. Uh, well, actually, verse five it says, "Then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord." So, this is this is what his name means. This is his character. This is his personality. This is what he is like. And this is talking about Jesus, and of course. He and his father are one, so it'd be the same for the father as well. And it says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Can you imagine all the transgression and sin that is going to have to be forgiven at the very time that we're talking about? at the beginning of the millennium. But he says, "...by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation." So, there is a price to be paid for those who refuse to repent, but these beaten people will come uh, humbly for the most part. Some of them a bit stiff-necked at first, uh, coming because they know they have to, but it won't take them long to understand the very character of the the God that has created us, and to appreciate what He's going to do for us. But many will be there as broken children following a spanking, where they crawl up into Daddy's arms and they want to be comforted. And Christ is going to comfort them, and that has to be our attitude as well. Now, after a good night's rest that first night, they'll come back in the morning to be taught— And there will be services, no doubt, every day during the feast, just as we read there in the book of of Nehemiah, uh, where they came to keep uh, the feast from day to day. And they'll hear the Word of God spoken each day. And instruction may begin with an introduction to the Holy Days and the festivals and how they reveal God's wonderful plan, so these people can find out what God has been doing from the very beginning. It will begin with the Passover, and if Christ is a speaker, or if someone else is teaching, they'll point to him, showing that he is the one who created everything. Uh, perhaps reading Colossians the first chapter, verses 15 to 18, uh, showing that it is he who created everything, visible and invisible, whether principalities or powers, everything is created was created by him and through him. And so they'll learn that this is what uh, where, where Christ came from. He was the God of the Old Testament. He was the one who brought about a worldwide flood to punish mankind or to destroy mankind because mankind had become so corrupt at that time. And yes, it is going to be His wrath that is going to come upon mankind that will bring them to the place where they will be there for the Feast of Tabernacles. He was the one that rescued Egypt or Israel from Egypt. And uh, he's the one who uh, was killed uh, because of our sins. So this message is going to go to Muslims, it's going to go to Buddhists, it's going to go to people all over this world, atheists, they're going to come to understand the Passover and what it means and why it was done anciently and what it means for them today. He'll explain the Feast of Unleavened Bread and how we must come out of sin. We must change. We can't stay the way that we were. And people are going to have a lot of sins that they're going to have to change from. We're going to have homosexuals and lesbians and trans people. We're going to have adulterers. We're going to have fornicators. We're going to have people that have used... Uh, drugs and so forth. Uh, many of them may not survive the time that's ahead, but there will be some that will survive. There will be some that will be let out of physical prisons because they were thieves and uh, murderers and all that sort of thing. And they're going to have to come to recognize that they've got to get rid of that way of life, that past way of life. They'll be uh, taught about Pentecost, and find out that Jesus was the one who spoke those Ten Commandments and made that covenant with ancient Israel. And that He has come back and is going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and with mankind, in a spiritual sense, all of mankind, because we will all become, or they will all become, Abraham's children, spiritually speaking. And so there is a a covenant that is going to be made in the future. And... No doubt he's going to remind them that, by the way, those two witnesses that you killed, they're alive now. They're a part of the first fruits, And there are a lot of others who you murdered, who you persecuted, who you rejected, made fun of. Uh, those are the ones that are here with me, with Christ, and uh, they're going to be here. And they're going to be teaching you and working with you as well. And you remember those terrible days that you just went through, the last three and a half years or so, well, especially the last year, not just the last three and a half years, but that last year, well, that's what is pictured by the Feast of Trumpets, seven trumpet plagues. Remember what happened at thus and such time, and this, and this happened, this happened, and go right down through the the seven trumpets. You can read them there in the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 11th chapter of, of Revelation and see how the ecological Disasters took place, and how a, a great battle took place as well between two great powers. Uh, you can read all those things, and then how Christ finally uh, came back we We read those things well, you know those things were prophesied some two thousand years ago and here 's what you went through, and here 's what the bible said here 's what revelation said would happen, and notice how it happened just as the Bible predicted, just as Jesus inspired. Now, the Day of Atonement uh, will explain that there's been this spirit influence that's been the, the God of this world, the one who is is directing the course of this world, and you are a part of that world. And that spirit is gone. And now, there's going to be a new spirit in this world, as described there in Ezekiel 11th chapter, verses 17 to 21, Ezekiel 36, and of course, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 uh, to 34, which is also there in uh, the 8th uh, chapter of Hebrews. Uh, a new covenant, but a, a new spirit that's going to be put inside or given to mankind. So you're going to have a different spirit now and that influence that was directing the course of this world and taking the world down a very bad and wrong path that led to all this destruction is going to be gone. And you're going to see the difference here very shortly as time goes on. Then... Get into the Feast of Tabernacles, and no doubt read Isaiah, the second chapter. And here's what's going to be happening going forward. Uh, it says there in Isaiah the second chapter, verse two, it came to pass shall come to pass in the latter days. We're talking now about our time, as will be explained to those people at the, at the feast that first year, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. Jerusalem is going to be that place uh, where people are going to turn. This is going to be the center. This is going to be the capital of the world, right here where you are, for those that are there. And for those maybe keeping the feast elsewhere, they're going to be pointed to Jerusalem as well. And all nations shall flow to it. This is going to be where people want to come to learn more. Maybe not the first year, but they certainly will as time goes by. And many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. They will come to respect the people that God is working through, has been working through with His plan. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. That law that professing Christianity rejected, that law that the rest of the world just didn't know much about in many cases, but even the parts of the law that they did know about, they didn't keep. Uh, That's going to be the the law of the land uh, here from this day forward. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. But notice verse 4. He's going to judge, and so Christ is going to have to say, or those speaking for Him, that uh, He's going to have to judge between nations, and he's going to come back with a rod of iron to deal with the hardheads, the people who have been oppressing their people all these years. And he says, and they shall rebuke many people. Uh, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. No longer are you going to be able to make war. You're not going to, to fight as you have before. No more West Points or Annapolis's or whatever it is in the country where uh, you may come from, where the, the, the war colleges are, and teaching people to fight and destroy. No more video games where people are, you know, killing others uh, or, or watching programs like, you know, zombies or something, I, I forget what they call it, or The Walking Dead, where, where it's okay to kill people because they're, they're only half there. Uh, I guess that's what it's all about. I've never watched one of those scenes, some advertisements for them, The Walking Dead. It's kind of got popular, at least in this part of the world. And it, it, it's crazy. And, and so Christ is going to show that uh, nation's not going to lift up sword against nation. We're not going to learn all these things. And you know what? The Second Amendment is not going to be there at that time. The Second Amendment to the right to bear arms. And some Americans... Uh, need to understand that that is not the law of God. And I'm not against guns. I have a shotgun myself, and uh, I've done a little bit of hunting. But uh, the, the idea that we'll, you know, be able to rise up against our government, and that's not going to be the way it is there. And we're not going to learn war anymore, and neither shall they uh, uh, lift up sword against nation. Uh, the, no doubt Isaiah the 11th chapter will be read. I won't read it there, but uh, you will no doubt hear it during the feast where the lion will dwell with the lamb. And not only is that talking in a perhaps a very literal sense, but it's also talking about the, the, the strong in the world against the weak of the world. And they will not prey upon the weak. No longer will we have these calls uh, if we have tele- uh, telephones at that time where people are preying on older or uh, more feeble-minded people to uh, steal everything that they have, their life savings. Uh, No longer will the strong prey upon the weak. And then, of course, Isaiah 35. How could that not be read at that time? Uh, But it will not just be a a prediction. It will be what there is. Verse 3, verse 5. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Uh, then, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and there will be people there that that will be opened not only in a spiritual sense where they 've been blinded physically or i mean spiritually, but also the eyes of the blind in a very real sense will be opened up and You talk about rejoicing that will take place uh, when exactly will that happen? Will people be anointed during the feast? Will Christ just uh, open their eyes? Uh, physically, as well as he is opening them spiritually because of a new spirit in the world. Uh, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. And waters are going to burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Exactly how long that's going to take in the millennium, we don't know, but that's all going to happen, no doubt, very quickly. And then when it comes to the eighth day, uh, I'm sure that early on uh, they'll be told that, wait till you hear about the last day of this feast, the eighth day of the feast, a separate feast. And boy, we are excited about telling you what that's all about. That will be a wonderful uh, piece of information, wonderful news for everyone, that uh, your loved ones and others are not lost forever. Uh, they're going to have an opportunity and a chance. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be there at that Feast of Tabernacles after coming out of all the trauma that they've come through? You know, that's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to that time and the days beyond the, the Second Feast and the Third Feast and all the way on into the Millennium for a thousand years where people are observing the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let's come back to this evening uh, because it's for you and me. Uh, this is something that now we must come back to the reality of where we are at this time. And so let's go over to Deuteronomy the 14th chapter. Deuteronomy 14. And we'll begin in verse 22. It says, And you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And I hope we are here because we have been faithful in saving our tithe. Some people take this very lightly. And we're going to be teaching it in a few years. And is God going to use us to teach something to others that we haven't practiced and prepared ourselves? So I hope we've been faithful in uh, doing this. Because I, I say this because I know that some are not. Most of you are, but some are not. And I suppose that if they're not my saying anything probably isn't going to change it. But I, I say it hope, hoping, having hope that people will get the message. You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where He chooses to make His name abide. Well, we know that Jerusalem's going to be one place in the future, but not everybody's going to be able to be in Jerusalem, and they'll be around the world in different places, just as we are right now. And you can... Uh, uh, Go to that place, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, your firstlings of your herds and your flocks. And the reason for this is that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. To come to have a greater respect, a greater understanding, a greater knowledge of the eternal God, of of Jesus Christ and our Father as well. That we can understand their mind, their character. As Galatians 2.20 talks about how... We are crucified. The, the The person that we are must be crucified, but yet we live because Christ lives in us. And He is using the power of His Spirit to live in us, to change us, to transform us, to be different from this world and different from the way that we have been in the past. We need to be growing constantly, changing, understanding more of the will of God. And then it goes on to show here that we can turn the tithe, if it's agricultural, into money and exchange it for money. And then in verse 26, you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for good beefsteak, a leg of lamb, wine, similar drink, or whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord, the eternal, your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. And we, we do rejoice, don't we? We, we love uh, keeping the feast. I know I always do. And I enjoy some of these things to be able to go to a nice restaurant or a barbecue and and have uh, wonderful food with wonderful company and really enjoy these things. And I always remember how I was told by certain individuals when I was first studying the truth, oh, that's bondage. And so often I say sometime during the feast as I'm sitting enjoying a wonderful meal, boy, isn't this bondage? Isn't it awful? Isn't it terrible? No, it's wonderful, and God wants us to rejoice. He wants us to be able to take the fruit of our labor and rejoice in it. But rejoice with purpose, and rejoice with others, with our whole family, and not just uh, selfishly consume these things upon ourselves, but to to use them in a profitable way, and have the opportunity to serve others. In fact, let's just go over there to uh, Philippians, the second chapter. Because this is the attitude, this is the lesson that we are to learn in this life. Here in Philippians, the second chapter, and verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, God's Spirit working in us and bring us together, uh, if any affection and mercy... He says, "...fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind." And remember, Jesus said that, you know, just as He and His Father were one, uh, that's found in John, the 17th chapter, in the prayer that He was making on that final evening uh, before He was taken into custody. And He says that just as you and I are one, Father, uh, we want to be one with all of them, that they may be one as we are, and so that that oneness that that love, that deep abiding love, the ability to forgive, to overlook and to 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 persevere and and put up with one another that 's what God wants us to to learn to do and he says uh, that with of one mind he says, "Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit." not trying to climb over someone else to get ahead, Uh, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Or in other words, put the needs of the other person above our own needs. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, that's what we need to be learning here and this gives us a wonderful opportunity, uh, an eight-day period of time where we can learn to put the needs of others and to help out, maybe volunteer to babysit for, a, a, you know, a, a couple who uh, have 10,000 kids and, and uh, you know, have a hard time uh, just getting off by themselves, maybe helping them out that way. And, and uh, you know, some of our younger people can do that, perhaps, or anybody for that matter. Uh, you see a, a stranger, someone you don 't recognize, maybe sitting by himself or herself, and to make them a part of your get together that you may be, maybe you 're with family, but you can always enjoy having somebody else and, and give them the opportunity to enjoy being a part of a, a greater family uh, we 're here to project our minds into the future when Jesus Christ and the saints, and hopefully that's you and that's me, uh, if we remain faithful, will bring the Feast of Tabernacles to a broken world. That's going to happen. It's very real. It will happen. So for now, let us rejoice, you and your family. Learn all that you can, because these are the things you're going to be teaching in the very near future. And that stranger that's sitting next to you or a new family, uh, maybe it's somebody that you know, and you know that that person is by himself or uh, off, uh, maybe a, a couple off by themselves. Uh, that person may be lonely. Remember him or her and bring him or her into the greater family of God. So until tomorrow, get your rest and have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow.